Broadway for Tuesday, March 5th, 2019. I'm Broadway World's Matt Tamanini. Is this the Ides of March? No, that's the 15th. No, yeah, you, you got 10 more days. 10 more days. And I'm Broadway star's James Marino. Why, why do you ask? Uh, it just popped into my head for some reason. But no, I, I, as soon as it came out of my mouth, I wanted to grab those words and put them back in my mouth. But it's the 15th, not the 5th. Correct. Although our first story does involve a Shakespearean play based in uh, ancient Rome that involves murder. So I guess it's kind of connected. Hmm. What do you mean about that? I guess you'll have to explain it to us. So first up in the news, uh, Gary, who is this Gary guy, announces a last-minute casting change. Yeah, this is not Gary Shandling. Oh, away a couple okay, years ago. That's yeah. too sad. But um, uh, do you remember the the old TV show, Gary Shandling show? Oh yeah, the Gary this Shandling is the theme show. To yeah, Gary yeah. show. Yeah. I remember trying. Like, I would occasionally get to watch that when I was a kid. You know, stay up late, but until my parents realized it probably wasn't appropriate. But anyway, yes, James. Although I doubt. Um, you know, we said Gary announces last minute casting change. I kind of doubt how last minute this actually was considering the producer, but we'll get to that. But yesterday, like 31 hours before what was supposed to be the first Broadway preview performance, Scott Rudin announced that Andrea Martin had sustained four broken ribs during rehearsals for Gary Colon a sequel to Titus Andronicus. And despite her protestations, the Tony winning comedy legend is heeding the advice of her doctors and is departing the show. But James, that's just the beginning of the interestingness from this story. Ah. So as we discussed yesterday, Martin was scheduled to play Janice opposite Nathan Lane, who was playing the titular Gary and Christine Nielsen was set to play Carol. But instead of doing the obvious thing and bringing in an actress to take Martin's place, they are actually promoting Nielsen to take over the role of Janice and bringing in Tony winner Julie White, who actually was the first Tony winner that I ever interviewed BT dubs to play Carol. Because of this change, the show will now begin previews on Saturday rather than tonight. In a statement, Rudin said, quote, there's no greater company member than Andrea Martin, and we are heartsick to see her depart the production. We wish her the speediest recovery possible. We are very grateful to both Miss Nielsen and Miss White for stepping up and stepping in so quickly. For her part, Martin um, was in her normal comedic fashion saying, quote, I am brokenhearted to to have to leave the production and have tried to convince the doctor that my funny bone is stronger than my broken ribs. But regretfully, I must follow the doctor's orders. I love everyone involved in this beautiful play and will miss them profoundly. I will be cheering them on from the audience at the Booth Theater. Um, James, just for a, a note, despite the fact that she looks incredible, Andrea Martin is 72 years old. So I would no. imagine uh, broken broken ribs at any age um, are significant. And, but somebody, um, you know, getting up into that age is probably a little more concerned uh, with that pain than it might be for somebody who's 32 or whatever. But anyway, now. James, yesterday we talked about how this show had been doing practically zero promotion, uh, so much so, in fact, that I got the playwright confused with that of Hillary and Clinton. Gary was written by Taylor Mack and Lucas Hanath, uh wrote the upcoming Hillary and Clinton. So I got that wrong. But now maybe we know why there wasn't any promotion going on for the show, because while we just got this announcement yesterday, I have a feeling that this is something that they've known about for a while and rehearsals with 
Nielsen in Jan in the Janus role and White in the Carol role. I feel like this they've been going on for a while. So this might be a last minute announcement, but I don't think it was a last minute decision. Do you think they'll have spare ribs at the opening night party? Oh, that's funny. That's I mean, like like that's worthy of this show and this cast, James. I'm I'm proud of you. So Andrea Martin, you said how old is she? I, I believe seventy two years old. That's impossible. I her, I earlier that's today, totally yeah, totally impossible. She looks so great. Oh my goodness gracious, that's awesome. Uh, you know, I have loved her ever since I saw her in my favorite year. Uh, oh yeah, back forever. The duck song from my favorite the the duck joke. I, I don't know what's called the duck song from my favorite year. I know it inside and out, and I laugh every single time because she is so freaking funny. Um, so so sad I won't see her, but this is still an exciting cast. This is uh, tremendous. Oh yeah, yeah. Julie White's amazing. Uh, yeah. She won for she went for Top Dog. Is that the show she won for? Does that sound right? Uh, no, that's Top Dog Underdog. I, top, something with yeah. a dog. Something with a dog. She won her Tony Award. But she's amazing. Uh, obviously a star of both stage and screen um, with a Tony Award. And, um, you know, it, it's great for her. Um, let's see here. It was – no, nothing with a dog. What did she win uh, Tony for? Oh, yeah, The Little Dog Laughed. Oh, Little, little dog, dog Laughed. That's right. Yeah. Little dog and ironically, laughed. she played uh, Matthew Broderick's wife in Sylvia. So there's a, a dog connection there as well. Mm. But, um, yeah, so I, I think this will be great. Uh, obviously disappointed not to have Andrea Martin on Broadway this year, uh, but excited to see Christine Nielsen and, and and Julie White as well as obviously Nathan Lane. But while I'm not necessarily insinuating anything, although I kind of am, James, it is interesting to me that these casting changes, these last minute things or fairly big stars being announced and then um, changes being made fairly last minute um, – it's interesting to me that these seem to happen a lot more on Scott Rudin productions than with any other producers. I don't know if it's just the law of large numbers and the fact that he produces half of every show on Broadway pretty much. Uh, but it just seems to me that we have these a lot more when Scott's involved than we do with, say, yeah, you know, I, I don't know, Tom Darryl Curry. Roth. Or Daryl Ross. Daryl, yeah. Tom Carney. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, it just seems like that happens a lot more with him. And I don't know what that is. And I'm not saying that there is a reason. Um, obviously, four broken ribs are four broken ribs. It just it's it's interesting. So I have something else to say about Scott Rudin. Um, you know, a couple of times a week, almost every week, we say Scott Rudin announced and this and that. Mm -hmm. Scott Rudin does more communication with the general public than Sarah Huckabee Sanders. <laughs> Which isn't saying something because we were just talking about the fact that this pro this production has done almost no communication. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, but Scott Rudin, you know, and perhaps is because he yes. produces half of all Broadway shows. So yes, there, exactly. there's that. All right. So let's this 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 second story. Uh, please, somebody explain this to me. <laughs> Oh, I was hoping you would explain it to me. Oh, yeah. Um, I just don't – I just – I well, I think we should announce it first. Okay. Next up in the news, Morrissey, big bubble over my head, says, who announces Broadway limited engagement? Well, I'm going to have to change the script because I was going to ask you about this later. But yeah, as if the first story wasn't surprising enough, yesterday morning we learned that rocker Morrissey will attempt to follow in the footsteps of Bruce Springsteen. 
but on a significantly smaller scale. The former frontman for the Smiths. Yeah, the Smiths. Mm-hmm. Will have a week and a half long stop at Broadway's Lentfontan Theater. The enigmatic star who left the Smiths and went on to a solo career uh, will play seven shows Huge from career. May 2nd. Was it? I, he, yeah, we'll get to I, that. We'll get to that. But, you know, I, 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 dig some, I did some Wikipediaing. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about him in a minute. But anyway, the Enigmatic Star will play seven shows from May 2nd through the 11th. Apparently, Morrissey has a new album of 60s and 70s cover songs coming out on May 24th. And the Lunt was just sitting there empty. So as we've talked about before, we like these types of things. Uh, the Nederlanders figure they might as well bring him in for seven shows. Um, now, honestly, James, other than seeing him... I guess my first introduction to him was on an episode of Craig Kilborn like 15 years ago. He's notoriously not um, one for media. He doesn't do interviews. He doesn't do TV very much. He originally canceled a, a Craig Kilborn appearance, and then he came on uh, eventually. And this is I love I love me some Craig Kilborn from the early Daily Show days uh, from ESPN to Daily Show to uh, the Late Show or Late Late Show or whatever it is. But anyway, I saw him on that 15 years ago. That's the first time I'd ever heard of him. But other than that, I almost know nothing about him. And I was going to ask if you were as big a fan as Morrissey as you are of Springsteen. But clearly, based on your reaction. That is not the case. Yeah, I, you know, I've heard in passing of Morrissey and the Smiths were big when I was in school. And so, uh, you know, I guess I'm just out of that, that, that cultural loop with uh, Morrissey. But I, so I went right to Wikipedia. First of all, I was annoyed because there seemingly is a number of shows trying to come in this spring and, Morrissey doing this show at the Lunt, uh, you know, removes a theater from being in contention right now. So, but I guess it... We'll we'll get back to that. We'll get back to that. Go ahead and and finish. So I went to the Wikipedia. I uh, typed up the Google Google machine and said, who is Morrissey? And uh, wow, you know, he's he, he, he's huge, and I have just totally missed this. I've been blind to this whole thing. And I've seen a number of musical theater folks on Facebook and the Twitter machine uh, very excited about this. Uh, so I guess, you know, he seems to be very talented. He's a very private guy, doesn't do a lot of media, does hardly any media, in fact, and probably mm-hmm. was not on the Gary Shandling show. But, um, it, you know, it it's one of those things where... Uh, and there's so many other venues in New York that these folks can do this at. So you tell me about the Lunt and real estate and landing a plane on Sixth Avenue. <laughs> yeah, I just uh, I think you're absolutely right. Of course, there are other places that you can do this at, but. I think we've talked about a lot of shows potentially coming to this theater, whether it was Girl from the North Country, um, Titanic, something else coming into this theater. Now, it is a big house. It is a 1,500-seat theater. And the rumors are – this has not yet been confirmed, but it is – as close to confirmed as you can get. Uh, the fact is that Tina is likely to play this house in the fall. So whatever they were going to look to put into the Lantfontaine Theater was almost certainly going to have to be a limited engagement. When you talk about big musicals at a 1500 seat theater, that's pricey. And very few times, unless you have major stars, are you going to be able to sell out 1500 seats for a limited engagement? So I think the fact that the Nederlanders apparently are committed to bringing Tina into that house really hamstrung them and being able to bring a show in in the spring. Yes, there are 
always tons of shows that want to come in. Um, but I think because they see Tina as a potential hit and they want to save that spot for them in the fall, that has meant that other things that want to come to Broadway just aren't able to consider the lunt as a possible landing spot. So something like bringing in Morrissey um, apparently is a possibility. Uh, there's a ton of other things that, you know, uh, could have gone in there, but none of them seem to be things that want to stick around just for you know, six to nine months. They're things that have hopes of being longer running shows. And I, if that's what you want to do, that means that theater is going to be open and I'm fine with them putting something in there. I hope they get something else in this, in the summer as well. Bring on, you know, other random musical acts that I barely, you know, I'm barely familiar with, but that's great. If they're, if I'd rather that happen, then it'd be empty. So once again, I am the fog machine that everybody hates, and you are the fan that clears it up. <laughs> no, because no, this is after I got the playwright of a, an upcoming new play completely wrong on yesterday's show. So uh, we are each other's fog machines and fans. We, 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 we do as much damage as we do good sometimes. You probably got it wrong because I require that we have fog when we record. <laughs> I was actually it was actually me trying to prove a point that Gary hadn't done any publicity. It was all, you know, subterfuge hmm. or strate or strategery. Strategery. Subterfuge is when they spin those uh, test tubes around really fast. <laughs> yeah, all right. That's exactly. So what happened in last week's Broadway Grosses? Uh, nothing good, James. Nothing Absolutely. Good. Nothing good at all. Um, despite picking up two new shows, Ain't Too Proud and King Lear, Broadway dropped more than 9% to come in at $27,159,271 last week. So let's get into the numbers. Let's start at those two new shows. Ain't Too Proud played three performances at the Imperial and grossed $472,627, James, which, if you extrapolate that to eight performances, is more than $1.26 million. Now, obviously, the first three performances of any production aren't necessarily going to be representative of what will follow in the coming weeks, but that's pretty impressive nonetheless, especially for a show that has done about 27 different pre-Broadway tryouts, and people have had chances to see it from across the country. In terms of King Lear, that one wasn't as robust at the box office as Ain't Too Proud was, but for a three-and-a-half-plus-hour Shakespearean drama directed by Sam Gold in his classic minimalist-style, one-set, weird costumes, it's not bad, grossing a smidge over $259,000 uh, over just three performances. Other than that, there really weren't many positive storylines as the only show in the black week over week was kiss me Kate, which rose a grand total of $9,661, but it went from seven to eight performances. So on the whole, that's really a loss in terms of average and not, not like they're losing money, but a, a loss in terms of the week over week numbers. Every other number on the ledger was red, but nonetheless, Hamilton led all shows with $3,085,520 then it was more than $1.17 million until you got to Cursed Child, Child, which was followed by The Lion King, To Kill a Mockingbird, Wicked, Frozen, Dear Evan Hansen, Aladdin, and a Network, again with just seven performances. Those are the only shows above $1 million. That means only nine of Broadway's 31 shows were north of seven figures last week, and three were plays. Figure that one out. I, I can't imagine when the last time that happened. Anyway, in addition to that, go ahead. 
Were you going to say something? No, no, no. Keep going. Okay. In addition to that, only four other shows were above $656,000. The Book of Mormon was at 959000 Mean Girls at a touch under 936000 Come From Away at 841000 And The Share Show with Stephanie J. Block on vacation. So I have, a, I have a feeling that that played into this as well at just under seven hundred eighty-three k. Basically, the numbers... For everything looked bad, but since we looked at Ain't Too Proud and King Lear already, let's look at the other show that's currently in previews, Be More Chill, which was in its third week and its second week of eight performances when you're getting ready. It's opening this coming Sunday. Wants to be getting ready, wants to maybe still have some of that buzz from the stands. It actually declined more than 146K, coming in at just $559,000, or 61.4% of its gross potential. Now, James, even though we knew that things would be rough about now, this is probably rougher uh, than I even would have guessed. It, I, obviously, I'm not in New York, but I know that there was a threat of cold and snow over the weekend. Do you think that that's what kept people away uh, over this past weekend, at least in part? Uh, spring break, um, some other types of, uh, things there. I, I don't think that they, I don't think it's been, uh, crazy. And in fact, we, you know, it was, uh, a big storm that was, uh, hit in New York on Sunday night, Monday turned out to be a big bus. It was, they closed the schools and everything. And there was nary a flake of snow on the ground, leaving oh, egg wow. on Bill de Blasio's face, the mayor of New York. Uh, and lots of isn't there always complaints about that. The thing about this that we're uh, I'm very concerned about is that is Hamilton masking uh, underlying problems in the market because is, is Hamilton throwing off all of our numbers? If we remove Hamilton's three million dollar grosses from this thing and really take a deep look into the data here, uh, do we have? Uh, are, are we actually much further behind than we think we are ahead? I, I wonder if anybody has really looked at if we can get Oliver Henry or some the Ken Davenport or somebody who's analytical to do a deep dive into these numbers here because uh, I wonder if it's a tale of two cities. Uh, that's really interesting. Uh, you know, obviously – Hamilton's been around since the what the summer of 2015 yeah. um, or something like that. So uh, it's hard to compare it year over year. And then if you start looking before Hamilton came, uh, those numbers are not important now because the price has changed so much. But that's really interesting. If you take that out or just insert the average profitable show for Hamilton, it's interesting to see. What that might be. The other option is not that necessarily Hamilton is adjusting the numbers, you know, that it, that it's inflating the numbers of everybody else. But it's also the possibility that Hamilton is siphoning off money that could have gone to other shows uh, because people are spending so much money to see Hamilton. Maybe they're spending less money at other places. So instead of having, um, you know, buying four tickets for six hundred dollars, they're buying two tickets. To, uh, to Hamilton for six hundred dollars, so it, it's it could be six of one, half dozen of the other, where it's making the total numbers look better, but it's also making its competition in quotes look worse because people are investing more money to see Hamilton than they would be in seeing multiple other shows as well. We have so many different data points here that can be used uh, if we take Hamilton out of the mix uh, and we take the the Rogers out, out of the mix. You know, we could see. 
how many actual tickets are sold. We can talk about average ticket price without Hamilton numbers in there, uh, things like that, to get a true view on the health of the Broadway economy. But uh, I don't see anybody talking about this, but it, it's constantly hitting me every week when we're seeing, you know, uh, you, this, this, the first words on the script here is, it was bad, James, really bad, despite picking <laughs> up two new shows, blah, blah, blah. And then, and that's been that for a number of weeks. And then we get down and then Hamilton's in the $3 million range, just over $3 million, just under $3 million, which has been the story for the last five or six weeks or something like that, uh, with it, with the exception of the Edgeham that was a couple weeks ago. Um, so, uh, uh, Oliver Henry, this is your, uh, your five-minute call, <laughs> Oliver Henry, five minutes to places. <laughs> well, and what's interesting about that, James, is that I think it, you have to be a little bit careful because when you start to – take out the biggest show on Broadway that you have to balance that with maybe taking out uh, the biggest show from whatever you're comparing it to as well. You want to be able to compare apples to apples, but um, for the most part, Hamilton has been above 3 million except for in those uh, edgy ham weeks dating back to looks like the end the week of Christmas, the week before Christmas of 2017. So it has been inflating numbers in one way or another um, for going on a year and a half or getting close to a year and a half uh, here in a couple months. So that's a, a ridiculous total to be coming in week over week. And it is certainly going to have an impact one way or the other, whatever that impact may or may not be. All right. So let's uh, move forward into uh, other news here. Important, important news. Bob Greenblatt officially takes over HBO and other Warner channels. Yeah, we've talked about Greenblatt's departure from NBC a number of times here before and how it impacts the network's involvement in live musicals, amongst other things. But in addition to being a producer on Broadway shows like Nine to Five, Something Rotten, Dear Evan Hansen, Mean Girls and the upcoming Tootsie, Bob Greenblatt, as the former head of programming at NBC, shepherded Smash to the Peacock Network. And when he uh, he actually had worked on that when he was at Showtime and brought it to NBC when he came there. But he was also behind the recent wave of live musicals late last year. As we talked about then, he stepped down from the National Broadcasting Channel, and yesterday it was announced that he will become an executive in the newly formed conglomerate known as Warner, Warner Media. Now, this is the conglomerate made when um, uh, AT&T purchased uh, Warner Brothers, which – much to the dismay of, of President Trump. Um, Greenblatt will oversee networks including HBO, TNT, TBS, True TV, and Warner's planned streaming service. On the other side, Jeff Zucker, who is a stain on modern journalism and our country in general, will remain in charge of CNN and will now oversee all of Warner Media's sports and news. Now, James, like many theater fans, the first thing that I thought of when I heard this was smash reboot on HBO, baby. Bring it on. Let's go. <laughs> I well, if they bring Smash to HBO, maybe uh, Lauren Ambrose will uh, have another role there. You know, maybe uh, Six Feet Under Meach's Meach's Smash type of thing. Was that? On, yeah, I think that was. Was that on Showtime or HBO? Uh, Six Feet Under HBO, I think. Was it? Yeah, uh, I might be wrong. I there. get, I get that one. I get that one confused with Dead to Me, which was the Mandy Patinkin show where he was like a guardian angel. Yeah. Or something. I think that was Showtime, but it, it's, right. you know, Lucas Hanath, Lucas Hanath, you say potato, I say potato, I don't know. Yeah. You know these. Yeah. So, yeah, 
Uh, this is going to be... Uh, if uh, Greenblatt really has this thing for, uh, for musicals, this could be uh, very interesting. And especially since uh, HBO seems to be uh, changing their strategy from being just a premium cable channel to being a uh, on-demand content mm-hmm. sort of premium content challenger to some of the other streaming services of Netflix and uh, Amazon Prime and things like that, uh, this, this could be a, a challenge out there for what's going on. And, and HBO has a history of doing things musicalized and theater wise. They've been, they did um, the sick, what is it, Sondheim Six or Six on Sondheim yeah. thing a few years ago. I believe at some point they announced that they were going to uh, do um, an American Idiot movie uh, as well. They might have been involved with the documentary as well. I don't remember. And were they involved with um, the, was it Angels in America? Uh, a TV movie version as well. Oh, yeah. So they, they have a lot of theater connections as well. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with Bob in charge now. All right. So old Jack Warner working over uh, with uh, Bob Greenblatt there. So that's good. Oh, look in the show and cast news. Yeah. Yeah. My girlfriend, Christy Brinkley, she's returning to <laughs> Chicago. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Up, up first, yesterday it was announced that Uptown Girl Christy Brinkley would be joining the national tour of Chicago before a return run on Broadway. She will join the show for tour stops in Phoenix and Las Vegas before coming back to the role of Roxy Hart on Broadway from April 18th through May 12th. She originally played the role in 2010 and 2012. Why not? Yeah, whatever. Yeah. Um, also on Monday, Lincoln Center Theater announced that this summer it would present the American premiere of Chris Irk's play The Rolling Stone to be directed by Sahim Ali. The show will begin performances on June 20th and will feature Ato Blankenson Wood, Latoya Edwards, Robert Gilbert, Myra Lucretia Taylor, Adenike Thomas, and James Udom. Set in Uganda, a country subjected to severe anti-homosexuality laws, The Rolling Stone is an intimate yet explosive family drama about two brothers at odds, one a Gay, gay man in a clandestine relationship and the other a church pastor who fervently rails against the lifestyle his brother is forced to conceal and finally yesterday on twitter rachel bloom announced that the cast of her tv show crazy ex-girlfriend will be doing a concert at radio city music hall on may 14th of this year the cw show will air its series finale on april 5th and will do a live concert immediately afterwards the cast uh, has done a number of live performances across the country before usually at pretty small venues not like the six seven thousand seat uh radio city but um, they've had different collections of cast members do those concerts there's not yet an official listing of who will be there but series stars gabrielle ruiz donalyn chamblin vincent rodriguez the third and others have commented about being there and being excited and the cats out of the bag and all that stuff so i would imagine that most cast members will make themselves available for a gig at radio city james yeah you know if uh <laughs> If you have the opportunity to play Radio City, you play Radio City. <laughs> yeah. Totes. Yeah. Only uh, the only reason not to do that is if you maybe uh, you or your wife is having a baby. That's it. All right, Matt. Why don't you get us out of here? I don't. I don't know why you feel like marriage is something that has to be forced upon people. It could be their their significant other, you know, or or girlfriend, whatever. Doesn't matter. Anyway, thanks for listening to today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at bwwmatt. 
uh, I, I have absolutely no response. And my name is James Marino from BroadwayRadio.com and BroadwayStars.com. Thanks for spending some of your Tuesday with us. And um, Matt or I or Matt and I or somebody else will be Sometime. with you sometime during Wednesday morning. But don't listen for us early. We'll yeah. Talk to you then.